Good morning. It's good to be back. A lot of new faces, which is always awesome. Uh, as I tell people, when you come to your home church, it's, also, it's great and uh, intimidating. Uh, but uh, as is a tradition here, I'm going to take about 30 seconds to share with someone next to you, how did you obey God this last week, and then how did you share with someone this last week? So please take 30 seconds, turn to your neighbor, your friend, some random stranger, and uh, share how did you obey God this last week, and uh, who did you share with? All right, as this, I'm also told it's tradition for us to uh, then pick on people. So is anybody willing to share how they obeyed God this last week? Go ahead. Fantastic, thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, please. Um, I Oh, fantastic. Awesome. That's really great. Anything else? Anybody else? This side of the room? All right, so what I'm hearing is whiteboard with thankfulness and a conversation with a coworker. Um, I myself, uh, I take public transportation, so I go the train to the bus, and on the bus every Monday, I try to use just that. I, I pray on the bus, turn my phone off as I'm going into work, and uh, just use that time to pray. And every Monday, I use as a just, I just do thankful. I do nothing else. I don't do any supplication. I don't. Uh, ask for anything. I just list, try to list all the things to God that I'm grateful for during that Monday ride. And it gets me, it's Monday. <laughs> so it gets me on that kind of, okay, I, I'm grateful for, and, and particularly I'm grateful for this job that I have and uh, gets me in that right mindset. And it, in terms of sharing with anyone as well, I haven't had any deep, you know, nobody's come to the Lord, but had a couple good conversations. Okay, why do you, you know, you go, why do you go to church and what does that mean? And uh, that, that sort of thing. This morning we're going to talk about encouragement and how everybody needs it and how we can encourage one another. So the, the first thing I'd like to, to look at is that it's just, it's a rough world out there. There's a lot of weird, nasty stuff going on. Uh, it seems like every time I get up, get up here, there's a new war. There's a new rumor of a, of a war somewhere. There's famine. There's some country picking on another country, there's some crops failing somewhere, the Ukrainians can't get their grain out, etc. And then of course there's all the stuff that we have in our in our own houses. There's there's disease, there's discouragement, there's issues that we might have with family members, there's issues that we might have with friends. And the world can be very, very discouraging, and when we, we come to church, when we come to the place where God is, that should be the place where we are most encouraged, and that is where the encouragement should come from, and again, that's why I have, I actually go to, to at least two small groups, uh, to two life groups, as we like to call them here. One, one of the 
And again, you can cross campus it. I go to a Thursday night one when I'm here with uh, some men from this, this campus as well as the other campus. So you don't have to be constrained to your own campus. Uh, I, I asked Chris to, a while ago, I don't know, it's three years ago, two years ago, a long time ago. Uh, I needed encouragement. I was just not getting what I needed from, from the world and I needed, and so Chris and I started meeting together to encourage each other online and to talk to each other. And then of course, when COVID was over, we started meeting together and we've invited a, another couple guys to meet with us on Thursday afternoons after work, just to say, hey, life's hard. Families are hard. We mess up as men. We don't do the things that we're supposed to do. We don't do the, we don't, I don't love my wife 100% sacrificially. I know that's a shocker that the preacher may not actually love his wife exactly as the scripture causes. But Chris encourages me to do that and calls me into account. And Tim, another member of our group, he's a really blunt dude, IT guy, I know that's shocking. And he will just say, hey, you need to do this, Derek. And I'm always a little like, well, okay, man. And then I'm usually a little offended, but then it's true what he says. And that's an encouragement once I reflect on it and get over the shock of being told exactly what I should do. Uh, I get, okay, that's, that's what I should do. So, so uh, life groups, the church should be a very, very safe place. It should be the place where we are encouraged. In Ephesians 4.29, which is my life verse, and the reason that this is my life verse is because I don't do it very well is that it says that let no unwholesome word or foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace or it is a benefit, as the New American Standard says, to those who listen. Now, this is a rough verse. No unwholesome word or no foul language should come from your mouth. I'm a former military guy, and and again, those of you that work in the world know how nasty People talk nowadays. There's no, there's no filter anymore. Professional talk is not professional anymore. The, the swear words that I hear, the things that I hear from my cube mates are not unfoul, if you will. And this says, let nothing, let no unwholesome word, let no foul language come out of your mouth, but only what is good, only what is good for building other people up so that it may benefit those who listen. And my default is to be critical and to complain. That's my default. That's the kind of person I am. And so when I go through these verses, when I'm encouraged to encourage, it hits me again. You know, Derek, whenever you talk, literally every single time this verse says, whenever you talk, don't let that, that language come out of my mouth. And that everything that I say should benefit somebody that's listening to me. That doesn't mean I'm always saccharine or I'm always, you know, extra nice, that I never say anything that is not impactful. But I have to be very careful that it's not just criticism. Or if it is criticism, that that criticism is something that builds builds someone up. And again, we here in Northern Virginia tend to be really critical. This is a, this is a, a place more than any other place that I've been where the goal is perfection, right? If you're not perfect, if you're not doing something awesome, we all humble brag to each other. Sometimes it's not humble bragging. Sometimes it's straight bragging. This is Northern Virginia. You know, where's your kid going to school? What school are they in now? My kindergartner has been accepted at Harvard. You know, that sort of thing. 
What car do you drive? Where do you live? Again, what's the first question after how bad was traffic this morning is, what do you do for a living in Northern Virginia? And we all compare our jobs. Oh, my job's better than yours. Your job's better than mine. How do, how do we get to a place where every time we meet together, every time we talk to somebody, it's encouraging? And particularly here in the body of Christ. How do we get to the point where we, every single time we talk, it builds somebody up? It benefits the person that is listening to us. And again, that's hard. That's tough. But that's the the command of Scripture. And then, again, in Hebrews 3.13, it says, Encourage each other daily. While it's still called today, which unless the English language changes, today's going to be called today. (laughs) So that none of you are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Again, if we don't, encourage each other, if we don't daily take that time to be encouraged by the scripture, to be encouraged by one another, to encourage one another. And and again, encouraging one another has that ancillary benefit, that extra benefit that as you encourage, you tend to be encouraged because you're thinking of something good to say. You're thinking of something that is beneficial. You're thinking of something that is, is helpful. And so that just gets you in that mindset of things that are helpful and good to say. And, and again, it's, it's an everyday thing. It's a habit that we build to talk, to say things, to give someone an encouraging word, an encouraging thought. And it might not be returned. I have a kid who is not, not super responsive every day while he was at home. And still now I try to encourage him with something. Hey, I really appreciate this. I really appreciate that. You did a good job doing that. And about every 780th time, he'll say, yep, there's my response. But it's my prerogative as a dad to every day to give him that encouragement to build him up, regardless of the response that I get, as long as it's called today. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Starting in verse 3, Paul talks about the encouragement that he gets and that he is given and the encouragement that is, is mutually received among the Corinthians. So in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul encourages the Corinthians. And Titus encourages Paul and the Corinthians encourage Titus themselves. And I, at the other church, they did the, the reading from this this. Uh, section, but I did not realize we weren't going to do that this morning, so I'll just read it this morning, and uh, I'll read it from the message, just to throw us off. No, I'll read it from the New American Standard. Starting in verse 2, Paul says, make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together And to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all your affliction. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. There's a, that's a sermon right there, verse 6. God who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Not only by his coming, but also with the comfort 
with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it, even though I did regret it, for I see that my letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For that sorrow through the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. Whew, and everything. You demonstrated yourself to be innocent in this matter. For although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender nor the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness in our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For in, if in anything I have boasted about him to you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have comfort in you. So in that first letter, when Paul talks about, hey, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Although I'm kind of not sorry I hurt your feelings. You know, it's the whole, that's the first use of sorry, not sorry. It's in the Bible. So you can use that hashtag. It's scriptural. He says, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I offended you. But not really, because in that, but he was wondering, did, did, that, did that first letter, if you read 1 Corinthians, it's pretty harsh. You guys are totally messed up. There's some crazy things going on in the Corinthian church. Like, you think any church you've been to is messed up? Read 1 Corinthians. This is the first century. So just so you know, no church is more messed up than something God has ever seen before. The 1 Corinthian church, some guy was sleeping with his mother-in-law. That was one of the things that Paul addressed. They were getting drunk during communion. Another thing that Paul addressed. I don't know if you've ever done that before. That's, you know, something that's not, that he said not to do. They were elevating speaking in tongues over the other spiritual gifts. Paul says, hey, that's not the way you do this. All the spiritual gifts are beneficial. There's, there's, nothing, there's no special gift in speaking in tongues that precludes all the other gifts that God gives. Jesus gives each gift individually to each individual to build the church up so that all the gifts are part of the body and the church was not acting as a body. So he was pretty rough on them. And he was wondering, did what I say work? How are they feeling? So he has to go to Macedonia and he's having a rough time in Macedonia. He sends Titus to the Corinthians and he finds out that in fact, they are doing the right thing. Now, encouragement is not flattery. Encouragement is not lying to someone or just saying nice things to say nice things. And again, there's a fine line there. Sometimes, you, we, sometimes we say nice things that aren't necessarily maybe 100% true just because it's mean sometimes <laughs> to be like, hey, you suck at XYZ. 
But we are encouraged and not flattering. In Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, it talks about that the, the fact that better is an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. So in fact, it's better to say something. See something, say something. Man, I'm so tired of that phrase. But it works in life as well. That as we are in relationship, again, this is talking about relationship. If you don't have a relationship with someone, it's not a good idea to be like, hey, man, you're totally messed up. They're like, who are you? You know, I see you t- talking that way to your, to your coworker and you need to knock that off. Um, you don't, I don't work with you. What are you talking about? This is, this is in relationship. And it says that open reprimand is better than concealed love. What that means is that if you actually love somebody, if you actually care about them, you will talk to them about what's going on in their life. You, when we love somebody, and again, this goes back to what Brett often says or what Preston often says, what is, what is love? What is actually love? Love is not full acceptance of everything that somebody does regardless of what they're doing. That's not love. That is apathy. That is not actually caring about somebody. Because if someone is doing something that is wrong and is going to hurt them, then we encourage them to not do that thing. If your choices are going to destroy your life and we love someone, we tell them about that. If one of my friends, as used to back when I was in the the military, would come home and drink a half a bottle of Jack Daniels every night, I told him after a while, hey man, I think you're developing an alcoholic habit. And he took that so well. I was like, thanks, Derek. I really appreciate that. You know, I I just really appreciate that you love me so much that you're willing to tell. No, he was angry with me. And uh, we we had a, a break in our relationship for a while. But that planted the seed in his mind that maybe he was drinking too much. And he began, after a while, to get help. Now, the current talk about love says that we love people just let them do whatever they want. And I'm here to say that that's not love. Love says open reprimand is better than concealed love. So how do we encourage people? There's, there's kind of three different types of ways that encouragement makes a difference, makes a, a better difference. The first of those is consistent character. In verse 2, Paul says, we wronged no one, we corrupted no one, we took advantage of no one. Located ministry or being on a stage, being the person that is every week saying to someone, this is what God says, it's very easy to take advantage. It's very easy to steer people in a direction that you want people to go. It's very easy to get certain benefits and certain special perks from this position. And Paul is saying, I didn't do that. Paul, in fact, worked as a tent maker in a number of of places just so that nobody could say that he was trying to take advantage of them. And Corinthians was one of those places where he he said, hey, I'm not going to take any money 
uh, for myself. He, did, he was, in fact, raising funds. One of the reasons that he says this, to take to the church in Jerusalem at this time. But he goes back to the fact that he had not asked money for himself while he was in, in Corinth. So he can say that when he encourages them, that his character was such that they couldn't accuse him of anything. So that we, he said he wronged no one, he corrupted no one, he took advantage of no one. And by the way, who do you believe when you are encouraged, when you are reprimanded? The individual that you know is consistent, or at least mostly consistent in their words and their actions, or the person that is inconsistent in their words and actions? Nobody is 100% consistent. Let, let me tell you right now, I am a hypocrite at least probably once a day. But the goal is to get closer and closer to my words and actions. And that's who you listen to, those with consistent character. And if you are a person of consistent character, if the people that know you best know that at least you're trying and that more times than not, what you do is consistent with what you say, then when you encourage them, when you reprimand them, when you say, hey, you're doing a good job, they believe you or you need to change someone, something, then they believe you. Truth, spoken consistently and lived consistently, is more readily accepted when your personal character or the person who is encouraging you character is consistent. Again, that's why one of the, one of the characteristics of an elder, both in Titus and in Timothy, is that that individual should be beyond reproach. That when you talk to the community in the church and you talk to the community out of the church, does that elder have a reputation of being consistent? Because if not, they don't have a business leading and encouraging and teaching the church. Again, the second thing that makes encouragement is sacrifice. One of the ways that our kids eventually understand. I didn't get this until I was, and again, I thank goodness I got it early. I was 19. I got promoted to sergeant. They gave me a squad. And all of a sudden, my dad was a genius. Because all of a sudden, I was actually responsible for people's lives, quite literally. We were doing missions all over Southeast Asia. We were jumping out of planes. And it mattered that when I was given these, these six men's lives, to oversee that the sacrifices that had been made by my parents in order to teach me that the things that had been done all of a sudden mattered. That encouragement, those, those things that dad had said that I thought, that guy does not know anything. Who, why should I save my money? Why should I be careful? Why should I give thought to the future? Why should I, why should I be consistent in the way that I think and the things that I do? All of a sudden, my dad was a genius because, again, of the sacrifices that he had made. And we as parents, and those of you that are kids in this audience, it may not seem that way, but we as parents sacrifice in order to be encouraging. And that sacrifice, Paul says again in 7.3, we die together and we live together. Last weekend was Memorial Day weekend, and in many, many CrossFit gyms across the country, there's a certain workout. Anybody done the Murph workout here? All right. There, one. We got one. It's really hard. It's a tough, tough workout. 
And it's named after Lieutenant Michael Murphy. And every Memorial Day, it's done as an encouragement to remember the character and moreover the sacrifice of the Medal of Honor honoree, Lieutenant Michael Murphy. And what he did was, and it's been memorialized in the book, which is better than the movie. Uh, Always, the book's better than the movie. Lone Survivor, where the lone survivor, Seal Travis Luttrell, survives out of his four-man Seal team. His four-man Seal team is dropped off. They're looking for a bad guy. They get discovered by goat herders, three kids. They decide not to murder kids. Again, what sets America apart from other countries? Little aside, they let the kids go. They're surrounded. They are attacked. There's a two-day running firefight. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Murphy uh, is there. They're hunkered down. He cannot get his radio to work. Man, have I been in that situation. So the only thing that's going to work is his satellite phone. But in order for a satellite phone to work, he has to go out into the open. So Lieutenant Murphy, Murph, takes his phone, walks out into the open, surrounded by Taliban slash Al-Qaeda, is shot three times while making the phone call, connects the phone call, calls the helicopters, and then dies from his wounds. But because of that phone call, Luttrell is eventually saved because they know where that team is. And so every Memorial Day, an encouragement is made. Let's do this really hard thing. It's just exercise. Nobody's shooting. You're not going to die. To do this very hard thing because of the sacrifice. And it's an encouragement. You're encouraged by the sacrifice of this individual. And that is a second aspect of encouragement. And then the third, of course, is to actually encourage. If we have consistent character, if we are uh, sacrificial, then use affirming words. Paul says in verse 4, I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in our, affic- in our afflictions. Say it. Actually encourage people. That's the third aspect of being encouraging. Your kids need to hear you're doing a good job. I love you. Do this thing. Your spouse needs to hear, hey, you look nice. I appreciate you. Thanks for doing the dishes. Thanks for going to work. Actual encouraging words mean more when the, when the other two, but you have to actually use the encouraging words. You have to actually say those things that are encouraging. We have to do the encouragement, if you will. And Paul does this, and again, we are encouraged to do that. And then, after Paul encourages the Corinthians, he says that Titus encourages Paul. In verse 5, when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, and fears within. First of all, I'd like to point out how honest Paul is. Paul does not say, hey, I'm a super Christian of some sort. I'm not having any issues whatsoever. Uh, I mean, I am the Apostle Paul. I'm amazing. I'm awesome. You know, the, the Spirit has, is living in me. He's, he's, he's honest. And again, that goes back to his consistent character. He says, I'm having a really rough time here in Macedonia. I am 
having no rest. And we're troubled in every way. We're having conflict with the, Christ, with the Christians here and with, with non-Christians. And I'm afraid. Ministry often comes with fear. Truth be told, it's scary to be entrusted with other people's spirituality. It's actually, to me, it's far more scary to me to be entrusted with the word of God than it was to lead men in combat, lead men and women in combat, because this is actually more impactful. This impacts eternity. And if I don't do a good job with this, it scares me to death that when I get up here, I'll say something wrong. I'll do something wrong. And it, it probably happens anyways. I'm a human being. But Paul, and it, it's encouraging to me. Again, this is an encouragement. It, it's an encouragement to me that the Apostle Paul was worried about stuff. That he said he had fears within. That, and then, again, if you read Romans, Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about, hey, when I try to do the stuff I want to do, I don't do it. When I'm not trying to do other the stuff that I don't want to do, I do that. Again, he's honest and he struggles. And Titus comes and he, he encourages Paul and he says, hey, Paul, the Corinthians are okay. That letter that you sent them, it worked. They actually took that to heart. They changed, they changed, and they're doing it, doing it differently and they're doing a a great job. And another, a good example of this is the two writers of the, in the 20th century. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Two of the most prolific Christian writers pretty much ever. Lewis and Tolkien were in this group called the Inklings. There was actually four of them. They're the, the, the two most famous. There was a, a minister and another poet in the group, there's four of them. But Lewis and Tolkien were good friends and they shared life with each other and they talked about what was wrong and Tolkien made fun of the Chronicles of Narnia. He thought they were stupid kids stuff. I mean, and if you've read The Lord of the Rings, there's a bit of a contrast there in level of writing and, and English. And Lewis gave Tolkien a hard time about actually, oh, finishing anything. <laughs> Tolkien... Tolkien had a really hard time finishing stuff. And so Lewis would say to him, hey, man, just publish. Just finish that thing you're working on. And they did crazy things like learn Old Norse and recite poetry to each other in Old Norse and learn uh, third century Germanic and talk about it together. Brilliant men coming together. And then the, the main thing that they talked about was their Christianity. And Tolkien was a Catholic and... Lewis was an Anglican, but they were both very serious about their faith. And they encouraged each other, hey man, you gotta, Lewis was like, I don't know if I'm making any difference. And Tolkien was like, yeah, you're making a difference. Keep giving those speeches, keep writing that, those books. You're, the change, and they, they, Lewis had come to, to faith much later in life, and Tolkien was one of the main reasons that Lewis came to faith because he saw this brilliant, brilliant man. Tolkien was a Christian. And he thought, wow, you don't have to be stupid to be a Christian. You can actually be smart, be brilliant, be a professor at Oxford. No, I think Lewis, I think Tolkien was up to like 14 languages, I think seven 
spoken fluently. You can be that type of person and be a Christian and encourage Lewis to eventually just relinquish and become, as Lewis says, the most reluctant convert <laughs> that there has ever been. And then Paul is encouraged by the repentance of the Corinthians. He is encouraged by their genuine repentance. And that is what is most encouraging to leaders in the church, is when you take that next step. When repentance is actually real. And he says that your grief, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed. So that you don't experience any loss from us. You didn't experience for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. Some of the differences between getting caught and repentance, right? So when, we're, when we repent, we, we take responsibility. It's about us. On the flip side, when we're caught and it's worldly repentance, we blame God and other people. Well, that's, that's for them, that's for other people. Then we focus on the action itself. I lied. I lied. Therefore, I need to humble myself and figure out why am I a liar? Why did I add a couple extra things to that story to make myself look better? Are we humble, humble, humble? There's a good new, new word. And teachable. Do we change? Godly repentance produces change. Worldly repentance just revises it so that we don't get caught again. And then finally, godly repentance leads to salvation. So what, how do we apply this? What do we do? Encourage somebody today. Use your phone. Use actual words. Face to face. Write somebody a letter. There are these things that you put on paper and you put in this envelope and you can put a stamp on them um, and send those, those to people. I find cards uh, are helpful. Um, I will write to people that work with me or for me. I'll just catch them doing something right. Just say, hey, man, I really appreciate X, that you did X, that you did this, this, this thing. Wow, that was a really good report that you wrote. Man, that was some really good insight into the target we were looking at. And then do something as well. If someone needs some help, give them help. Someone needs some, some money, if you can, actually give them some money. If someone needs just some time, again, this is Northern Virginia. <laughs> Nobody has any time, so time is really valuable. So take that action, take some time, and encourage someone. And then finally, the ultimate encouragement is to share the gospel. Because that is the ultimate encouragement that the God of the universe who is fully holy who is, cannot be in the presence of sin decided that we 
as human beings made in his image were worth it. And he sent his son to come here to live a life in which he was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. And then to take the punishment that we deserve so that we can be encouraged that we don't have to take that punishment, that we don't have to be discouraged, that we don't have to die in our sins, that we don't have to live a life of shame and of guilt. That is the ultimate encouragement. And that is what you can most encourage someone by sharing the gospel, by sharing the ultimate and final encouragement that we can live the life fully. Jesus said, I came to give you life. I gave the, came to give you life, in one translation, fully, abundantly, as the old, old King James, that this life that you live now is not going to be necessarily easy, but it will be rich and full and amazing, and that will extend into eternity. Let's encourage one another as we have <clears throat> been encouraged through Christ our Lord as long as it is called today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love towards us, for encouraging us through your word, through other people, through the songs that we sing, through worship. We uh, are just enriched by the love that you have for us, Father. We ask that as we go into a time of communion that you will bless our time together, that you will encourage us to seek and to follow you in our next steps. In Jesus' name, amen.